As Dave said earlier, we are concluding this afternoon a series that we've been in over the summer called Growing Together, looking at the, the means which God uses to grow the church. And over these last weeks, we've actually been focusing not on numerical growth of the church, but we've been looking at what it means for us to grow as God's people in maturity, to grow in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Uh, And so we're going to conclude that series today by looking at the subject of mission and actually how the church grows numerically as well as in maturity. But I didn't want to miss the fact that today we're also at the start of a new term. We've just prayed for some of the young people who have gone up through the school years and are in new groups today. I know lots of people are making new starts, whether you've finished at uni, graduated, Dan's here, new start of the year for him. And as a church, we often think about our year in terms of the the kind of key priorities that we have as a church in line with the academic year. And so lots of churches this time of year will do something called Vision Sunday, and they'll talk together about what our the things that as a community of people we're praying for and trusting God for in the coming 12 months. And today is, in some ways, a kind of vision Sunday for us. But I want to say up front, I don't want to talk to you about my vision for the church or my plans for this year. I've heard lots of people when it comes to this kind of Sunday, quote scripture, quote Proverbs 29. And they generally quote a slightly old translation of it that says, without vision, the people perish. And people take that to mean that unless they give the church a compelling vision of their grand plans of what they're going to do in the coming 12 months that somehow the church will falter and fall apart, and that what people really need to hear is their plans for the coming 12 months. And that must be what that passage of Scripture is referring to. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I I think there is absolutely an appropriate sense in which a church community can be aiming for some things together, over a period of time, and and praying actively and trusting God for some certain things. I absolutely believe that. I also think there is an appropriate way for leaders to speak into that. So I'm not saying that's not the case. But that passage has nothing to do with my vision or my plans, or yours for that matter. When we read it in context, we actually see that it's talking about God's word to his people. Proverbs 29 was written at a time in the history of God's people when the word of the Lord came through prophets and in prophetic visions, which were tested in very strict ways that we wouldn't test prophecy today. So if someone then claimed to have a word from the Lord a prophetic word, God's revealed word for his people, it would be tested. And if it didn't come to pass, they would be put to death as a false prophet. 
Now, I'm not advocating we did that. (laughs) But the reason God's people behaved in that way and treated it that way is, I tell you what, you had to be really certain that God had spoken before you opened your mouth and said, God says this. And so in context, a lack of vision is a lack of God's revelatory word for his people. For them, that came through the prophets. For us, in the age of the church, we have scripture. We understand scripture by the work of the Holy Spirit. But what Proverbs 29 means for us is actually that without the word of the Lord, without scripture understood by the work of the Spirit, we perish. Now, the word that's translated perish can also be read to cast off restraint. Elsewhere in Proverbs, we find the same word used to describe ignoring or neglecting instruction. Without the word of God, unless they submit to the word of God, then people cast off restraint. They go their own way instead of God's. And ultimately, living that way leads to death. People perish because ignoring God's word means ignoring the word of life, the way of life. And then if we actually read Proverbs 29, 18, beyond without vision the people perish, what we read is, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So without God's word, (laughs) we perish, but we're blessed when we receive and submit ourselves to the word of God. What we need then, as a church this year, isn't my best ideas or plans. It's God's word. It's to see what he says to us in his word and to live according to it, to submit ourselves to what he says in his word. So I I could legitimately talk to you at the start of this year about the fact we'd love to see another life group added by this time next year. I could talk to you about the fact that we're thinking and praying about starting a midweek youth outreach in the new year, and that's something we'd love to do. I could talk to you about Alpha courses, a fireworks night, Christmas events. I could talk to you about a desire to establish a church office base for a growing team to work out of and create space for volunteers to be able to engage more. All of those things would be fine to talk about. And actually, I want to say, if you have any questions about anything I did just say I could talk to you about, please do come and talk to me. (laughs) Talk to James, talk to David, talk to us as a team about those things. And we will talk about them more over the coming months and in time. But as we head into this new year, more than anything, I want us to open God's word and remind ourselves why we're here. Because unless we hear that and respond to that, then we're going to lose our way this year. We perish, in a sense. See, our best ideas won't do it. We need God's word. 
over the summer, like I said earlier, we've looked at maturity in the church, growing together in maturity. And that's an aspect of why we gather and what we're called to. That's why we've been looking at it. We're called to maturity, but we know we're not called to be a cozy huddle, right? This isn't supposed to be just some kind of like inward-looking cozy huddle where we just kind of help one another grow to maturity and turn our backs on everyone else. We are supposed to grow together in maturity, but we're also supposed to grow together numerically. We're supposed to multiply. The church isn't and never has been static. God's kingdom is advancing, and we're supposed to play a part in that. That has always been the case. When we open up Genesis, we look at God's instruction to Adam and Eve to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. This is an instruction as the image bearers of God on the earth, his representatives on the earth, to fill the earth with more image bearers who would know God and glorify him and reflect his goodness to the rest of creation. When Jesus called his first disciples, he calls them straight into that same thing. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sent his disciples and commissioned them, he said, go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. The call of the church is a going call. It's about multiplication. It's about filling the earth with disciples or to echo the words of Genesis, to fill the world with image bearers of God. Those who are made in his image. God reveals his glory to his people in order that he might reveal his glory through his people. Take that personally today if you're a Christian. God's revealed his glory to you in order that he might reveal his glory through you to others. We're a sent people. We're a people on a mission. We need to remember that and keep it at the heart of who we are. And to help us do that today, I want us to read from Romans chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them up. We're going to read through from verse 1 through to the end of verse 17 in chapter 10. And then we're going to unpack it and see what God's word might speak to us today. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, this is Paul talking about the Jews who've rejected Jesus, for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, 
Or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ out from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... Every part of it is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training us in righteousness, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ, that we would be equipped to live in obedience to you for your glory and for the good of those around us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word this afternoon. For your glory we ask, Jesus. Amen. Good. Well, in Romans 10, those verses we've read, we find that Paul's desire is that the Jews would come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. We read it in context. We see from chapter 9, he's just explained that they've stumbled over Christ. And when he writes that, what he's saying is that they, they can't get to God because they're trying to get there by fulfilling the law. They're trying to get there on their own righteous acts. And the idea that the only way to the Father is through the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was perfect on their behalf, who was fully obedient where they failed to be obedient, was perfectly righteous where their righteousness falls short, was objectionable to them, and they couldn't get past that. They couldn't accept the grace of God in the work of Jesus because they wanted to be able to earn their own righteousness, to believe that they could be good enough to stand before God on their own merit. This is interesting, though. Having explained that, Paul says that his desire, his heart's desire... His prayer is that they would come to saving faith in Jesus. And he doesn't take any joy in their rejection of Christ. He doesn't have a superior attitude over them. Ha! I've, I've seen the truth. You've missed it. Ha! That's not his heart. He isn't indifferent. He's not kind of like, well, you know, it's up to them ultimately whether they accept or not. Like, you know, 
I'm talking to you Romans as Christians, like the Jews, well, you know. He's not indifferent. He's praying for them. His heart's desire is for them. He has compassion. His longing is that they would come to Jesus. Now, these, at least for the vast majority, weren't people he knew personally. But he'd caught the heart of God for them. Because he understood God's heart for them. His longing, his desire, was that they too would come to faith. And I guess I want to ask today, how about you? Is your longing that those who are far off from Christ would come to him? That those who currently stumble over the Christian message would see him for who he is and would come and find forgiveness, fullness of life in him? Wokingham is growing rapidly as a town, if you hadn't noticed. There are new houses going up all over the place, all around this site even. There's plans for new houses to be built right up to our doorstep. Thousands of new homes. How about them? Are you indifferent? Or do you share that heart? Oh, I'm longing that they would come to faith. It's your desire for them in that sense. Even people you love, people you know well, not just the kind of faceless strangers who may move into a new house over the road, but those in your life, your colleagues, your family. Are you indifferent about their response to Jesus? I confess, too often I think I'm indifferent read Paul's clear longing and heart for actually people who rejected him and mistreated him. His longing, his enemies actually, his longing that they would come to faith. And I think, oh, like I, Lord, would you give me your heart? Would you give me your heart for those who are far off from you? Would you capture my affection in the way that you did for Paul? My desire would be for them that I would labor in prayer for people to come to you. I want to encourage you to pray those kind of prayers. That we would get God's heart for those who stumble over Jesus. just said the Jews issue was that they rejected Jesus because they were trying to earn their own standing before God a righteousness based on the law you know many people today are the same in a much less religious way I think if people are prepared to accept that there is a God and there is eternity and there is the reality of heaven and hell if people are prepared to accept that, then I think the majority of people, if you asked them, would say, I like to think I'm good enough. That, that God, I'm, I'm good on balance. I think God would accept me. I'm better than them anyway. 
You know, the message of the cross is good news. It's what Paul wanted the Jews to grasp. Because it doesn't rest on you being good enough or earning it. If you try to justify yourself based on your works, if you stumble over Jesus and reject him and say, no, I'll earn it for myself, thank you very much, I can be good enough, then you are bound to it. We read in verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. It's like, if you could obey it perfectly, (laughs) you would find life. But you can't. <laughs> like, no one ever has. Apart from Christ. And the message of the cross is good news. We read, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. On a little more. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. Everyone. That divide of Jew and Greek was as big a cultural divide as you could imagine for these people. And Paul says, hey, (laughs) whether you're a Jew or a Greek, it makes no difference. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you trust him, if you look to him, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is great news. We tend to draw lines. Yeah, maybe them. Maybe they could come. But maybe not them. And, and I know when I said that, most of you instantly had a personal groups of people who your mind jumps to because it's how we think often. You will have people for whom you think... I just cannot believe that they could ever come to faith. And other people who you find yourself thinking or even having conversations with others, they'd be a great Christian. Like, have you ever th- like, had that conversation? Like, you meet someone and they're a really nice person. And you just think, oh, like, they'd be a great Christian. As though, like, somehow it would do God a favor if they came to faith. And it's like, how crazy we are in the way we think sometimes. But... <laughs> There's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter. Like You could be the most morally upright person that people would meet and think they'd be a great Christian. But if you stumble over Jesus, it's to no avail. It's no use. And you could be the most broken, morally bankrupt person who has walked the face of this earth. But if in your brokenness, You call on the name of the Lord. You won't be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is great news. 
I want to ask, are you praying for your friends and neighbors and colleagues that they'd receive that news? Are you seeking for opportunity to share with them? Please do. Please do. We want to pray to that end. But we read on, don't we? How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This is the simple truth. The people who are moving into all these new houses that are being built in Wokingham will not call on him for salvation if they don't believe in him. And they cannot believe in him if they have not heard of him. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes Paul's writings in the epistles take a bit of wrapping your head around. This is the most clear, logical piece of reasoning you could hope to find. Your colleagues, how can they believe if they have not heard? How can someone respond to the gospel message if they've never heard it? They can't. It's not rocket science, is it? This is simple. And so maybe your friends and neighbors and colleagues have never really heard of Jesus. Like, sure, they know the name. Maybe they use the name when they're angry or frustrated. But they don't know who he really is. How will they hear unless someone tells them? Now, sometimes, amazingly, Christ reveals himself to people in dreams and visions. You hear accounts sometimes of people, often seems to happen in Muslim-majority nations, where people are woken in the night with a vivid vision of Christ. They come to faith. Amazing. God can do that. But that's not normally the way people encounter Jesus, is it? (laughs) See, the normal means by which people will hear is by someone else telling them. You and I, we're a sent people to make disciples, to be fruitful to multiply image bearers. And when we hear that call, and we go, we read we have beautiful feet. (laughs) How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news we read in verse 15. Feet. I mean, my physically, my feet are definitely not beautiful. <laughs> and actually, 
anyone who took a cursory glance would be able to tell you that. But feet are used here to speak of activity, of motion, movement, progress, of going to people. Not how, how beautiful are the... I was, I, was about, I was thinking about being sat down, stationary. It wasn't in my notes, and I nearly said, how beautiful are the posteriors. It doesn't say that. Because this isn't about sitting on your behind and waiting for people to come ask you questions. Like, that isn't generally the way it works. And it never has been. How beautiful are the feet. Called to go. Not for waiting for people to come to us, but to go. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus who are caught up in the mission of God, this idea of going is central to who we are. And this year, amongst all the other things that we might think about and talk about and pray for, I want us to remember this more than anything else. That we've received life. But when we do, we're called to go and share that with those around us. when we experience in life something glorious, something beautiful, something amazing, praiseworthy, we naturally, instinctively share it with other people, right? Like if you're into sport, maybe you like rugby and you're watching the Rugby World Cup at the moment, and someone scores a Beautiful try. Like one of the, or a drop goal, maybe if you're an English fan. We're not talking about that. <laughs> Just wait for this evening. Wales and Fiji, that's where it's at. <laughs> um, but I know, you, that's sacrifice. I meant, thought, Wayne, do you know, I want to commend you, that is sacrifice. To be here when the Springboks are playing. Well done. <laughs> but, but, but when. <laughs> When you get home and see that Sia Khaleesi scored a magnificent try, you're like, yeah, oh, and you want to tell people, did you see that? Did you see what he did? It should be the same for us with Christ. When we remember, when we celebrate all that he's done for us, should flow out of us quoted it before and I don't I don't want it to feel in any way a condemnation of like oh gosh but I don't do that but C.H. Spurgeon said I won't believe a man has tasted the honey of the gospel if he's content to eat it to himself it's that sense of if we have tasted of the, the sweetness of the grace of God in our lives the joy of knowing our sins forgiven and conscience cleansed the, the natural overflow of that is to want to share it with others. You know, I've, I've found amazing news. <laughs> I have a wonderful saviour. Have you met him? We see it time and time and time again in scripture. 
as Jesus encountered people and changed their lives, they instinctively just want to go. The woman at the well, come, come, (laughs) meet this man who told me everything I ever did. She brings the whole village out to meet Jesus. We see it over and over again. The solution to that for us is to keep remembering the good news of Jesus, to keep celebrating all that he's done for us, to not think, oh, I need to grip my teeth to go out and tell everyone. I I must do it because it says it here. But to remember again, to delight again, to pray, Lord, restore to me again the joy of my salvation. Remind me your goodness towards me. And we go with beautiful feet. Beautiful. Because when we proclaim good news, we're partnering with God for the salvation of people. We're actually caught up in the mission of God. That people might not perish, but might receive life, life eternal. It's beautiful. So every day you're sent. In the workplace, you've been sent. With your neighbors, you've been sent. It's not coincidental where you live. When you go shopping, I want to tell you, you've been sent. You're on mission when you go shopping. When you're at the gym, you've been sent. When you're at the school gates, you've been sent. Been sent to proclaim good news. So many ways we can do this. We're not going to get into all the detail of that. So many ways we can do this with people we know. But how about people that we don't and we might not meet? But we can pray for them. And I want to encourage you to do that. And we do regularly when we gather as a church to pray. If you join us for our Wednesday morning prayer times or our Wednesday evening once a month whole church prayer times, you'll know that we pray for those who are far off. Pray for those who stumble over Christ. I want to encourage you to pray. But we can also take simple steps of faith. And the one practical thing I want to talk to you about this year that actually we want to do as a church community to take a simple step of faith is we've got loads of these printed And they're just a really simple invite to join us on a Sunday. And I'd encourage you to give them to people you know. But the other thing we want to try and do with these is my hope, and it's a bit of a challenge as well for you, is to see if we can get these through every single door in Wokingham this year. It's not that big a town. I think between us we could do it. So we're going we're gonna to set some dates when we'll get together and head out in groups to pray as we go, to pray for every house that we stick one of these through as we post it through the door box. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Would this simple leaflet do something to draw those people to you? Whether it's a face-to-face with us here or whether it's that maybe they used to go to church and it prompts them to, to go back. 
Or maybe they'll go to another church. I'm really okay with that. (laughs) Maybe they know they've got a colleague at work and just receiving this will intrigue them enough to speak to their colleague or their family member. It's a really simple thing we can do together. I want to encourage you maybe as part of that to do your own street where you live. Just take a whole bundle of these. And just pray for your neighbors and stick these through their letterboxes as you do and see what might come. You never know what conversations might be started as you do. Now, clearly, this isn't everything. <laughs> like this, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty basic leaflet that invites people to come to a church service. It's really not everything. It isn't even actually sharing the gospel. It isn't, in most cases, a conversation, actually. But it is something. And actually, I believe that as we do that, and as we take that simple step, and as we pray for those people, that God will work. We're a sent people. Individually and corporately, we're a sent people. But here's another piece of good news. As we go, we don't go alone. We go with Jesus. That's why it's one of our pursuits as a church. That we'd be those who know him and grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. That we grow in maturity, that we'd grow like him, but we'd also remember that we go on mission. We're a sent people, but we go with Jesus. We join him in his mission. And his promise to us is that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That by his spirit he'll be with us even to the end of the age. That's the age of the church. That just means history until he returns in glory to draw things to a conclusion and to make all things new. He promises he'll be with his people until that day, by his spirit. This is very, very good news. He's always with us. Yet sometimes, I know I can forget that and live like he isn't. And maybe you're the same. Maybe there are days when you, like I, can live as though it's all down to us to work it out on our own, to make it happen. Gloriously, that is not the case. We won't ever be without him, but sometimes we choose not to look to him first. and We try and do it in our own strength. We try and strategize, (laughs) come up with ideas, plans. We have a vision for what might happen. And when we do, we end up exhausted and mostly unfruitful. It's God's work. We want to do it God's way. That means we need to lean on him, rely on him, and recognize that we need his resources as we do. See, if we, if we try to go this year, 
just in our own strength with our best ideas. We're not going to make it. We'll wind up burnt out and broken by next summer. But if we remember that he's with us, that he's poured out his spirit, and if daily, consistently we come to him, say, Lord, would you fill us again? We're looking to you. We're trusting you. Would you fill us again? Would you equip us again? Would you make us more like you? If we're opening his word and saying, Lord, reveal yourself to us through your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that you breathe this out for our good. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us as we read? Would you form your likeness in us? Lord, we submit to you. Makes all the difference. So you're trying to go without the spirit. It's like a train carriage unhitching from the engine and still believing it will reach its destination. It's not going to work. We have to rely on Him. We don't have to try and go alone. We go with Jesus, alive in us by His Spirit. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us this year to that end. That we would delight ourselves in his goodness and his grace. That day after day after day, we would come back to him. Thank him for his mercy. Rejoice in our sins forgiven, our conscience cleansed. And that as we do it would motivate us to share good news with those around us.